Radio Lockdown is a Neptune podcast. Maybe I'll stop moving around and settle in one spot. It'll be a completely different podcast energy if you sit still. (laughs) Must be such a fun job editing this. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just going to make sure that I'm not mad at you this week because it turns out I'm okay with being fake funny mad at you for a Sunday. I'm not so happy with being fake funny mad at you on a Sunday and then listening to that Monday through Friday. I found it very funny for the one time I had to experience it. Oh man, I've had so many arguments with you over the past week, so I just wanted to apologize (laughs) for the tone I took in certain edits. Um, I really came on pretty strong there. And then I put your laughs back in and it was okay. <laughs> it was fine. I wasn't offended. I mean, I was a little bit offended. How dare you not appreciate Waterworld? But, you know, ultimately. <laughs> ultimately, we're good. And this is a peaceful week. What's the next step? We were in denial and then anger. And then bargaining. Okay. This week's bargaining, I think. That would explain a lot. Because this week I have been, like, it swings wildly between obsessively cooking and cleaning and then just lying in a puddle and not doing anything. And I would say that's my bargaining. Energy comes in bursts this week. Yeah, I'm like, maybe if I cook everything, nothing bad will happen. And it probably still will, but we'll have a variety of things to eat. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, a real change that's happened because of coronavirus is now I cook my food before I eat it. Before that, I was just eating raw meat. (sighs) I think it's because it's a Monday, man. On Sunday, I swear I would have found that funny. But today I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. It's got, (laughs) this podcast's got Monday energy. I really, oh, it's cursed with Monday energy. (laughs) What have we it's, done? It's gross. Nah, nah. Big energy. Let's go. Let's do this. Big energy. Excited. Big Easter energy. Can you energy. hear that maniacal, maniacal laughter from the other room? My housemate, she had to work on uh, two of the days, but um, essential services, woo woo. Woo. But uh, we've been spending much more time together. We're not people that go out a lot, but when the option is removed from you, I think it's starting to take its toll. I'm playing really sad pop music, and she's like, you're playing Adele. Should I be worried about you? And I'm just hearing maniacal laughter from the other room, like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What's her essential service again? Uh, She works at a bottler. Yep, yep, yep. Very important this weekend. Oh, you bloody think it would be how everybody goes on about it. It's ridiculous that people are stocking up on booze, okay? What I will say is, though, Props to everyone for buying out all of the supply of Corona with a beer. Just for the memes? Yeah, for the lols. Oh, man, I didn't even put that in my news segment this week. (laughs) And it needed some beefing up because this week has not been a funny week. (laughs) Maybe we should should do the news because it'll be good energy. And then, because I don't have anything to... (gasps) Wait, you made me watch that stupid Hercules movie and I have some thoughts. No? Oh, is there no. a particular point in time that we have to talk about that or are we not doing anger this week? Because you made me watch a dumb movie and now I feel like I'm entitled to rant a little bit. Ang- anger was last week. <laughs> I-, I think we'll continue this off air. Let me, let me bargain with you. <laughs> I will... <laughs> Negotiate an amount of time in the podcast for Hercules. I will give you uh, a balanced overview of my experience of Hercules, okay? And it'll be real quick. Okay, how much time are we allocating? I'm going to nominate two minutes. You can time me. Uh, Two minutes. Great. Let's do this. Ready? Set. Go. First of all, why was it set in space? What was the technology? I know you said they were trying to do Star Wars, but oh my God, that was horrifying. Second of all, why was the god of technology a woman? Because technically in the Greek mythology, that's a dude who's in love with Aphrodite. It's actually a really sweet story. But I think in this, it was just an excuse for more boobs. Also, all of the women were evil, but they were very attractive. So that's fun and confusing. <laughs> Lufragno was very handsome, had good star quality. You're not wrong on that. And ultimately, I paid half attention to it. And for the last five to ten minutes, I wanted him to succeed. So in summary stupid but uh i definitely did experience it so there we go that's beautiful we've still got another minute and seven seconds um the costumers were having such a good time i love the queer coding of the female villains i think like i think there's some real like is it villainous or is it just great and beautiful and gay (laughs) that um swords and sandals 
that whole section, like Conan the Barbarian, then goes on to be Sonia the Red, Bridget, was it Bridget Nielsen, who then married Arnie and um, maybe had an affair with Stallone, maybe. There's some stuff there. Anyway, she's amazingly tall, and the evil person that she faced was coded as a lesbian, so it's like a whole thing. Anyway, good old Lou Ferrigno did the whole thing in what I would say was just a pair of underwear, like a old-timey Greek underwear, let's say, at a stretch, but uh, he rocked it, made it work. But they did overdub him, and in fact, I think they overdubbed almost everyone in the film. There is almost no real live voice acting in the film, as you can tell from the movement of their faces. And I had subtitles on it, I'm like, this is just weird on a bunch of levels. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes the subtitles don't line up with the text which doesn't line up with their mouths so you're kind of watching three films oh my god Cersei didn't do that up to die the the sorceress that was unfair I did not appreciate that first of all they depowered her because she fell in love which is some horse apples also inherent in the genre but um secondly then she died for no reason just to clear the way it's very upsetting Anyway, I'm cool. What? But we don't have time to deal with all that because it has been two minutes. All right. So instead, we have a theme song to play. Yay! Theme song! Home Again Blues. That's apropos. That's what it is. This one was a cover by, I believe her name was Eileen Stanley. And I looked her up. Her whole backstory is just ridiculous. Explain more right now. She was one of the most popular American singers of the 1920s. I'm literally just reading that off of uh, Wikipedia. Her stage appearances build her as the phonograph girl and the girl with the personality. Oof. Which is some great, Oof. some great names. She also recorded for a record label that was actually devoted to only African American artists, despite not being African American, under a couple of pseudonyms. She then invested very heavily in the stock market and lost most of her life savings in the stock market crash of 1929. She was dating someone. I'm not quite sure how dating worked in the 1920s and 30s. Your manager set it up. But there was a rumour that she unwittingly ended her own romance when she introduced the person that she was seeing to Edward, Prince of Wales. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't do that. So that's fantastic. And then um, in her later years, she worked as a singing teacher and vocal coach. I'm sure that that was like rich person singing teacher and vocal coach. Where's the Coen Brothers film about this person? They love this shit. My favourite old-timey fact I learnt over the week was that Rita Marino had an affair with Marlon Brando and then she eventually slept with Elvis Presley just to make Brando jealous. You know old-timey scandals where you're like, they didn't do stuff in the olden days. And then they drop shit like this and you're like, wait, what? uh, So she's fantastic. This is a song that was performed by a number of other people. I believe it was like a lot of people had different versions of this blues song, which doesn't actually sound very bluesy. I've got the blues. I'm so sad. Close enough. You're clearly not sad. This is a very upbeat song. Well, she was... Just before the Depression, she didn't know what real pain was. She hadn't lost her savings in the stock market crash yet. Exactly. So you go back and you listen to old-time jazz, and you're like, what is going on with this? Because the tempo is really slow. So you're like, how are people doing cocaine and like having crazy times with something with a tempo this slow? What I'm drawing from this is that Baz Luhrmann's ultimate choices with the Great Gatsby adaptation that he did recently was to make the music more modern and really got us there in terms of where our mindset was. Sure, it wasn't the right idea to have a postmodern director make a modernist film, but ultimately, he really nailed it with the soundtrack. Now, that recent movie, you're talking about the 2013 Great Gatsby? Yeah, <laughs> that recent movie. You know, <laughs> Look, unless you know of a more recent Great Gatsby adaptation to film by Baz Luhrmann... I'm looking it up. ...deliberately misunderstanding me for comedic effect. It's Monday and I've had enough. It's Monday and I've had enough. You went 1920s there. Thought I could get away with it too if it wasn't for these, these damn kids. Why, Rapscallion? Right, okay, game face. Do you wanna do you wanna We've had our chat about bargaining and the theme song. Very good. Let's do some news. 
And let's, let's form the structure of this podcast. Let's build the ship while we're in it. It's time for Justin's Breakdown. Yep. Quick, I'll start bailing. You start hammering. <laughs> Justin's Breakdown! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> it is the 13th of April, 2020. You're listening to Justin's Breakdown. As an Easter present this weekend, the federal government announced it would subsidise short six-month diplomas and grad certificates, including university and TAFE courses in nursing, teaching, IT, health and science. Federal Education Minister Dan Tehan said of the announcement, if there's one time Australia needs economic stimulus combined with an influx of teachers, doctors and scientists, it's about six months from now. Netflix announced this week that it would be reducing streaming resolution across Australia to accommodate the number of people at home. It's the biggest drop in quality since they signed Adam Sandler to a four-movie deal. He's just not trying anymore. Adam Sandler for Waterworld. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) No, never the time shall meet. I'm not having Adam Sandler have Rob Schneider pop up on some island and be like, oh, I found dirt and I'm... Whoa, it's me, Rob Schneider. I can't do a Rob Schneider accent because it's been so long and I refuse to engage anymore. Skype went weird when you did that, so it was... uh... I don't know if Skype went weird. I mean, it was a pretty weird impression. (laughs) And uh, New York's Bronx Zoo, four-year-old Milan tiger Nadia has been diagnosed with the coronavirus following a test that the zoo hastened to add is not the same as the one for humans. Um, I don't actually have many jokes about this bit, but there is some amazing sassy science reporting in the New York Times article, which has the actual title, A tiger is slightly sick with the coronavirus. Your cats are probably okay. (laughs) Obviously, one of the things about scientific language and the way that scientists give even statements that are supposed to be relatively accessible for the press, you don't want to say anything that has not yet been proven and that sort of stuff. So they're very cautious about their language. But what that means is that you end up just saying kind of catty and snide things. Are you ready for some science sass, Darcy? (laughs) Only always. (laughs) Like I said, they were quick to clarify that the test did not overlap with the one for humans. Um, The exact quote is, you cannot send human samples to the veterinary laboratory and you can't send animal tests to the human laboratories. (laughs) So there's no competition for testing between these very different situations. It's just beautiful. Uh, It turns out that the people doctors aren't the same as the tiger doctors. Well, it's good. Obviously, someone has sat down and thought up every response that they're going to get to this in the comments section and gone, no, not today. And maybe it's a, you know, unrealizable goal, but I like that they tried. There's some other quotes uh, from Karen Terrio, who is the chief of the... Uh, zoological pathology program at the university of illinois she says given the number of people in this country that have been infected with the virus and have become ill and the number of people in this country that own domestic cats it seems fairly improbable that cats are an important source of the virus for people if the first case we're diagnosing it in is a tiger look she's had a long day okay right (laughs) and she is being very careful with her language The article itself also has a a bit of sassy uh, reporting. Um, It follows that quote up immediately with, Confirmed human cases are well over a million worldwide. There's been one report from Belgium of a cat that had symptoms, but the report was unclear. That really highlights uh, cats less likely to get it, eh? (laughs) Cats, not a vector we should be worrying about. Please don't throw them from a window. So far, there's there's no evidence that domestic animals can pass on an infection to people. Uh, there has been preliminary testing that shows cats can get it, as evidenced by there's a really big cat that's got it. Well, there's a preliminary unreviewed... <laughs> Is that a cat noise? Actually, if you play that back, Justin, you will find that that's the noise that Jasmine's tiger, Raja makes when Jafar turns into a very small tiger. Sorry, can you just repeat that quickly? Can you repeat the moment in the film where it happens? Jasmine's tiger leaps as though to attack Jafar, and Jafar, with his evil magic staff, shrinks the tiger down real small. And then when he's all small and adorable looking, he goes, 
there are some preliminary reports, so they're not peer-reviewed yet because people are just trying to study things to start with. Uh, looking at animal susceptibility, the same study that found that cats are a bit susceptible also found that the virus reproduces poorly in dogs, pigs, chickens, and ducks. Just like don't kiss your cat on the face, but it's more likely that your cat will pick up the coronavirus from you if you have coronavirus than that you know your, your pet will go off and get coronavirus and come back. But keep your cats indoors anyway. That's a different issue. <laughs> Just for like environmental reasons. Our cats would sometimes take down rabbits and you'd be like, what the fuck? First of all, it's the size of you. Like it doesn't make any sense. I'm so weirdly proud of you. And second of all, I'm so proud of you because it's not an endangered species. Get on you little dude. I want people to note that I did not add that second cat noise in post. Darcy is now punctuating her sentences every time she talks about a cat. She just, instead of a full stop, does the cat noise from Aladdin. You know what it is? It's verbal emoji, right? When I'm writing a sentence now, if there's like a good weird emoji that you're not allowed to use often, like if for some reason I'm talking about a wave and I get to do the little dude on a surfboard, I'll just do that. Like it's not connected by like sending a message with a picture. When's that ever going to come back up? I've got to send that. I mean, I'll write the words of the sentence, you know, makes sense. You don't say, I went surfing on a wave emoji. Well, it actually makes it more complex because when you have the, the prompt from your phone where it's like, hey, you wrote this word. Did you want to use this picture instead? You go, hell yeah, I want to use that picture. But then you have to rewrite the word. I'm making more work. Well, yeah, because otherwise you're sending a message in hieroglyphics. Is that why Egyptian hieroglyphics combine ideograms and pictograms? Because they were trying to, they wanted to show off their cool emojis, but they also did want to describe the thing that they'd just said. Well, Justin, <laughs> as you know, I've watched The Mummy multiple times, so I am a bit of an expert in this area, and I can confirm that that is, yes, why the ancient Egyptians used those things that you said. Resident Egyptologist, Darcy. Yep, it's just me and the Bainbridge Scholars, bro. What, what? You, them, and Rachel Weisz. Evelyn Wood is her name in the movie. Anyway, any more news? <laughs> nah, that's it. <laughs> Shit. Those are the three things that happened this week, and everything else is fine. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Lockdown, a proud member of the Neptune Podcast Empire. Neptune Today is a free, public interest science magazine run by me, Justin. I've been doing the podcast that you were listening to earlier. I make it myself with some friends that are smarter than I am and cooler and better at art. If you'd like a copy of our magazine, just get in touch Send us your address, $5, and the name of your firstborn child. We are Neptune Today on all good social media, as well as several of the bad ones. You know which ones they are. And you can support us on Patreon. There are different tiers depending on how much you like us, and it's not a pyramid scheme. So that's good. Who's the interview this week? We get a surprise guest this week. (gasps) Yes! So I've mentioned to you that Part of the reason we're doing this on Monday is that this was kind of a long edit. The problem with interviewing people that you actually know is you talk for a bit longer. So this week's guest is actually a friend of both of us, and I have interviewed them about the impact of coronavirus on the legal profession. It'll be fine if I guess the wrong person. Be like, oh, our other lawyer friend. <laughs> How many lawyer friends do we have? You should be so mad. Just guess a bunch of lawyers it could be that aren't her, and I'll edit that in. Oh, it could be a, a good friend, Jack, or I guess Ryan, that other guy we did with. It could be Sarah or... It's Trevor. You know Trevor. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're good friends with... I would say best friends with Trevor. I take all of his podcast recommendations, and I, I listen to them obsessively. <laughs> And uh, when he wants me to play board games, I always say yes and let him explain the the rules to me exhaustively. (laughs) All right, let's listen to what Tiff has to say about the legal profession. What a twist it would be if it wasn't (laughs) New phone, who this? Would you mind introducing yourself for a podcast audience? Hi, my name is Tiffany Irving. I'm a solicitor based in South Australia. I am also one of Justin's friends. What? No, I'd like that stricken from the record. That's just a legal thing that I know. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, so I'm here to speak just sort of generally about some of the changes that I've observed in the way the legal system is dealing with the COVID-19 outbreak and some of the hurdles that practitioners practically face in dealing with clients because there's a lot of face-to-face -face communication. I should probably also put a disclaimer at the beginning of this. The things that I'm discussing today are not to be considered advice. It is only general information. Yeah. Uh, and I'm providing this in the context of an interview so that my friend Justin can understand uh, some of the impacts that COVID-19 has had on the judicial system and uh, on the legal system generally. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't listen to a podcast to get legal advice. Get legal advice no, from, a, please. from a lawyer that's thinking about your specific cases. Come to a lawyer if you need legal advice. Um, hire my good friend Tiff. It'd be great. This is to help me get my silly head around the law and what's going on. When did you first suspect that this might have a big impact on the way that you work day to day? Let's think back. This is a couple of weeks ago now. So first off, there was a couple of weeks where everybody was getting quite nervous about the pandemic uh, or the, the potential pandemic. It wasn't being called pandemic yet. You have to sort of see the legal system as an extension of uh, kind of separate from, but also really closely tied to the government. So they take rules and regulations very seriously. They won't really act until they've got those guidelines put into place because they might overstep their jurisdiction. So you start off with um, those social distancing guidelines, recommendations. So if they're being promoted by the Prime Minister or somebody in a position of uh, authority, then those guidelines will be taken under consideration, but they won't necessarily be enacted or policies won't be strictly enforced until there is some kind of um, government announcement saying this is what we're doing now we have to make sure that we've got social distancing policies in place yeah the legal system is generally quite slow to react to any major change the fact that there has been rapid change over the past few weeks yeah i think a few people were caught off guard what were the first kind of impacts was it that you weren't able to see clients or was it something around the way that you interacted with each other but did people start getting sent home well, going from my wall, <laughs> so on the 11th of March, the courts put out their first notice. I printed that off and stuck it above my computer. I have been printing off notices that are directly related to my practice. So from ASIC, from the ATO, from the Courts Administration Authority, uh, for the South Australian courts only, for a couple of the federal court uh, notices as well. It's expanded out from maybe four notices directly above my computer to take up most of one wall. I haven't got the red string out yet, but I'm going to have to get to the stage where I start filing on my wall the ones for each jurisdiction. Oh, my goodness. You are actually going to have red string. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Question marks? Maybe like a face, a blurry face of someone with a question mark that you've drawn over it? <laughs> so the first thing was there was the, um, the promotion of those recommendations so the social distancing guidelines uh washing your hands everybody just being aware that well, everybody's bracing for something as soon as the prime minister set down the restrictions for people coming back to australia and said you have to stay in self-isolation for 14 days if you've been overseas that was the day that everything changed we had restrictions of people visiting the courts. Um, a couple of days later uh, an announcement on the 16th which was the magistrate court and the higher courts, and they said, we're putting into place these social distancing policies within the building. Don't come in if you're sick. If you can resolve things that are able to be resolved without coming into court, try and resolve it that way. And there's a whole host of other measures in place at the moment that have sort of gotten a little bit more strict and a bit tighter as the pandemic has progressed. But it sort of started out at a more general level, don't come into court if you can avoid it. and uh, the courts were heavily encouraging people to agree orders between themselves so that you can avoid those administrative hearings where people are coming in and just going, we need to get evidence in by this date, we need to get pleadings in by this date, you know, all the administrative hearings that are the bread and butter of going to court. Do you think there would have been some legal outcomes that would have actually been changed by these changes? Do you think that forcing people to negotiate or, or interact in different ways would have actually impacted the way that people arbitrate and negotiate? Absolutely. Uh, it's impacted my practice directly. There's been multiple ways that it's been impacted. The first one is 
people are trying to adhere to these guidelines that the court put out. So the first one being try and get some kind of consent orders between the parties. I've started my practice by really trying to discuss with the solicitors for the other side to try and get some kind of order so we can avoid going to court. There are times where it's unavoidable. You have to turn up to court for things like certain um, urgent hearings or maybe where the parties are unrepresented, but uh, the courts have been trying their best to try and pivot quickly and uh, uh, have hearings by alternative means. So at the moment, courts are doing a lot of teleconference hearings. Um, they have suspended some trials until after this outbreak is under control. I'm, I'm probably just going to ramble a bit here, Dustin, so you might want to edit this now. Oh, no, no, no. It's much easier if you ramble and I edit, then you don't say anything. And then sure. I have to, <laughs> and then I have to lie and say you said things. Sure. All right. So on the homepage for the Courts Administration Authority, they have a large blue warning saying important information for COVID-19. This is where they've started regularly updating the court notices and telling the public and practitioners about all the different changes. So if I scroll back to the 11th of March, that was when we first got these notices uh, about the different changes that would affect practitioners and access to justice and um, just people dealing with the legal system generally. So when the Australian Government Department of Health provided the self-isolation guidance for travellers, um, that's when everybody else pivoted and started putting these measures in place as well. Um, the courts just generally said, look, if you've got a cold or a fever, don't come into court. They've restricted that quite a lot and they've included a lot of other um, things that practitioners must or must not do since that date. The Chief Justice, Chris Caracas, put out a notice on the 16th of March and uh, said that jury trials that were currently underway would continue at the discretion of the presiding judicial officer. But uh, since then, no new jury trials are being um, undertaken. Uh, I think there is some discretion depending on uh, if it's a urgent criminal matter or something like that. But I have to admit, criminal law is not my area of practice, so I couldn't give you any accurate information on that. But I, I understand that generally jury trials have been suspended Australia-wide. This is just enough to the interview, just jumping in with a quick objection. Tiff got in touch after the interview and wanted to make sure that I cleared a few things up. On the 16th of March, the District and Supreme Courts in South Australia suspended all new jury trials for a period of 24 hours. That was an interim decision while they figured out what to do about the coronavirus. The District Court have now put a hold on all new jury trials until at least the 1st of July, but since the 16th of March, there's been no further suspension of new jury trials in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court have instead indicated they will continue to hold new trials with a jury present if they can, quote, be managed consistently with public health directions and advice. This potentially includes practices like seating the jury in the public gallery. So that's kind of fun. The Media and Communications Office of the Courts Administration Authority have confirmed to Neptune today that no new jury trials have commenced in the Supreme Court since the 16th of March, with the April jury pool that was scheduled being deferred after the Supreme Court trial listed for the 15th of April did not proceed. Outside of SA, jury trials have been suspended almost Australia-wide. According to the Judicial College of Victoria, jury trials have been suspended in every other state and territory except the ACT. Thanks to Tiff for getting in touch to clarify those points and to the lovely people that work in those institutions. Back to the podcast. I'm not going to draw you on questions of, of criminal law, but yeah. what would that mean in terms of people that are awaiting sentencing? Does that mean people are going to be detained for longer? Does that mean... That's a really interesting question. Um, there's a couple of... So a, a few policies have changed. So I'll actually just delve very, very briefly into how I understand people who are being detained at the moment are being dealt with. Sure. First you're arrested, then you're you're held until the magistrate decides whether you can be released to bail at home or whether you should be staying in custody. I think there's certain guidelines, and again, I'm not a criminal lawyer, um, in between the time when you are released or in custody to the time when you get a trial, or it depends on the orders made, but my understanding is that a lot of criminal practitioners are very worried about access to justice. You're dropping out again, sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. All, all I can say is that I have seen articles in the news where there's been a bit of uproar where people have been released from custody rather than staying in custody. 
and they've been released because magistrates taken into consideration the COVID-19 pandemic and said they might receive delayed access to justice. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, there's also the cost for the state of keeping people in remand before they're tried because it's quite expensive. Um, and also, it doesn't help with any social distancing guidelines. If you have a bunch of people in a confined space, like, for example, prison, they are quite susceptible to any kind of disease that might come around into that space, especially one as contagious as COVID-19. Yeah, um, I've heard that being suspected of a crime does not make you immune to disease, uh, which is a, a terrible tragedy. I have also heard this. That's the last criminal justice question I'll ask, unless you turn into a transformer again, in which case uh, I understand that you'll be an expert on criminal law, as oh all transformers God. are. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's had a big impact, I guess, on, on a lot of different elements of law. What do you notice day to day? Are you working from home now? I'm not personally working from home, although there are actually three members of my office that are working from home at the moment. So a couple of weeks before the 11th of March, when they started saying, look, we're concerned about this pandemic or this potential outbreak and it could become a pandemic, my boss and I had a discussion and he worked from home a couple of days a week anyway. So we just said, look, why don't you just stay home? We know that the virus affects people who are over 70 more. So why don't you stay home until this is over and just protect yourself as much as we can? Our office has not implemented a office-wide work-from-home policy. We have integrated new technology. So we have got Zoom. Uh, I know that a few people have been trying Skype, but it's still in the Wild West early stages and the Law Society put out an announcement a couple of days ago after, I think it was Hamish from Hamish and Andy, one celebrity kept Zoom bombing a bunch of meetings. Uh, um, Hamish Blake, yeah, has been doing that quite a bit. Zoom for one more, I believe is the name of the segment. I'm up with pop culture. I know who that is. He's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's been, because a lot of these meetings are confidential, they're giving out legal advice or they might be settlement conferences between multiple parties, confidentiality is a concern for the legal profession. So the Law Society put out an announcement saying you have to be really careful about how you promote these Zoom meetings and how you undertake them. Don't give out any of the Zoom codes on a public forum uh, and don't share any documents in the meeting either because it might be susceptible to interception. So, but that said, all of this new technology is only as secure as um, we can make it. And it's kind of a fallacy of all technology is, you know, there's always going to be a better hacker out there who can get this information. And so you just have to be as vigilant as you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th there's obviously, um, you know, Hamish Blake is one thing. I don't think Hamish Blake is uh, hacking anyone uh, in order to maliciously uh, release legal files, but... Um, no. Uh, although if he is, um, I will absolutely uh, bring him on the podcast and um, make him answerable for his crimes. Uh, we'll make sure that that happens. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for, for the benefit of the legal profession. Well, the guy who interrupted a legal meeting was actually a car salesman. And I think this okay. happened in maybe Western Australia. Uh, but the fact that there was some obnoxious person coming onto somebody else's meeting without being invited, it's quite concerning and I think people have to be quite vigilant in the way they deal with this new technology especially if they don't understand how it works properly. Yeah yeah and, and and we'll be discussing in our tech support segment in in the coming weeks some of the security issues with with Zoom because there are some more serious parts of it. I understand that the FBI are actually looking into some um, racist hackers that have been dropping into meetings to just shout slurs and then leave. So there's, there's actually some quite serious issues with, with some of the teleconferencing stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it must have a really big uh, impact because obviously the way that you would, well, sorry, I should clarify, the way that you would traditionally meet clients is face-to-face, -face, yes? Absolutely. Uh, first, for things like verification of identity, if you're doing really basic stuff like uh, conveyancing, there's also people who have to come in and sign affidavits. So this is going to be a very long segment, Justin. I've got a lot of things that have changed recently and I'll just waffle so you cut me off. Um, so one of the first things that we did was we, we implemented a policy of not having visitors come up to our floor. So we have a separate floor that's quarantined off and um, you can't actually access the, the floor from our lift. Uh, we 
trialed in the first week, having only delivery people come up and having um, a, a, like a chain across the front lift reception area. But we found that even though we had all of these notices clustered around in really large red font saying, we're not taking visitors. If you're a delivery person, please let us know. You're welcome to come up. So clients, ring this number so that we can arrange to meet you. And we found a lot of people were ignoring that and coming up. We actually had an intruder come up and uh, come onto one of our levels. We think because some of the homeless services might have been shut down or were really strange and stressed, um, this man uh, came into one of our levels and said he was going to live there. Um, that's obviously quite concerning for us, even though I do have a lot of sympathy for people who don't have the resources available to social distance properly. I mean, that, that's obviously quite an extreme example, but um, I struggle to, to think about how I would navigate that situation under ordinary circumstances. Once you're social distancing and you're trying to uh, make sure that any interaction you have also has an element of not being within a certain uh, physical space of someone, um, mm. sounds, yeah, it, it sounds quite complicated. Well, you're right, and it is an extreme example, and uh, I think people are just really worried about you know, where they're going to be. Well, there are a lot of people who have lost their jobs, who are really worried about money, about being homeless and um, losing uh, their rental property. I know quite a few people who are just really worried about not being able to pay their landlord and being kicked out. And because the states haven't, well, I have to say, except for two, most of the states haven't implemented any uh, eviction procedures or, or um, rent holidays or anything like that, which prevents people from being kicked out because they can't pay. It's a concern that's on people's minds. I think there's a general feeling of unease. I don't know if you've been outside recently, Justin. <laughs> but, Never, uh, not even before this. <laughs> everybody's quite nervous and uncertain and they're worried about their... If it's a criminal matter, they're worried about their liberty. If it's a civil matter, they're worried about their money. And because money is, you know, it's going to be on the forefront of people's minds because we're heading into a recession now, if not already in one, it's just causing this big cauldron of stress that people are having to wade through to try and get justice. This is a podcast about how people are reacting to this clearly negative thing by, by making positive changes. What's something that you think should be... Uh, retained by the legal profession after this is done? What's an impact it's had that you think may be ultimately positive? I don't think we've seen the last of the impacts yet. Uh, so I say this with the qualification that there's probably going to be better access to justice at a later stage because we'll, we will have to catch up with technology and the way we just generally proceed with matters. However, currently, um, the things that have been put in place are things like Having hearings by um, teleconference or uh, video conference, um, having electronic trials. At the moment, the South Australian courts can have some electronic trials. And by that, I mean you physically go into court and you argue before the judge. But in terms of all your paperwork and documents, um, you can have electronic trials, which are all the documents that you have, you can have on kind of like an iPad. Yeah. So where you might have, Okay, this is a strange quirk of the legal profession. If you have a big trial and you have a lot of paper documents, you might end up wheeling a bookcase into the courtroom and filling that up with A4 document folders. Uh, and, you know, you might have a couple of those depending on how big your trial is. And usually for something like that, you'd probably lock them up each night and, um, you know, the court staff would keep it safe and secure. So if you have a month-long trial, that's quite normal. You're wheeling in an actual bookcase? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the court stuff, if you're really lucky, the court stuff might provide you with some. Wow. Okay. So you, what, you bring them from home? You have like bookcases <laughs> back at your legal offices and you wheel them in? Kind of. Um, we, the one, when I've been very lucky, the court has, the court staff have provided a wooden one. Uh, and that was about oh, four foot high with three or four shelves. If you're a bigger firm, you would probably have bookcases just lying around at your big offices that you could then just wheel in. Forget um, the rest of the interview. This is all I want to know about now. <laughs> you, so all of the law firms have bookcases that they wheel into court. No, because they're often used by people just at the office generally. 
uh, I have to admit, bookcase space at our office is at a premium. And there's one partner who has a heart of gold and takes on a lot of cases. And, uh, yeah, he keeps invading everybody else's space because he puts his files there because he's just run out of room in his office and it's just floor to ceiling files. So he's invading other people's bookcases. What does that oh, mean absolutely. for the bookcases that need to be wheeled into court? Because this is apparently a thing. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of ways of doing it. Sometimes you might, if you are very lucky, have a, a wood bookcase that you can wheel in or like a cheap Ikea one. Alternatively, a lot of people use those um, foldable cardboard ones which are like five a4 folder temporary book cases that you can then stack on top of one another i once had a supreme court trial i think you three of those stacked on top of one another this is this is a completely <laughs> different piece of infrastructure i've never heard about this so so this is the thing that is now being potentially uh re- replaced or, or superseded i don't know how you could supersede wheeling a physical bookcase everywhere that seems like that seems like well, a modern solution <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Law is very, very complex. And in order for the for the people arguing, you have to be able to present evidence to the judge. And you might have thousands and thousands of pages of documents. So whether you present that, that to the judge physically, because you've gone through all of those books and you know in your mind the physical space of the most important documents. Um, so you have a physical book or a bundle or something that you can hand up to the judge. There's that way of doing it. Alternatively, you've got the electronic version where everything's kind of one or a bundle of PDFs and then you just show the judge those pages from the PDF. Um, I haven't actually had an electronic trial personally. I know that they're not commonly used because I think a lot of um, the legal profession is a little older. They are very used to working off paper. Yeah. So having an electronic trial isn't sort of, it's not something a lot of people are comfortable with. Um, and also a lot of the judges are older as well, so they're more comfortable using that physical paper medium. However, I think we're probably going to push to having more electronic mediums now because at the moment one of the policies that the, the courts have put in place is that they won't take any documents handed up from people. If you have to go into court and have a hearing in court before a magistrate or a judge, they will not take any papers from people at the bench. Um, you have to send it in a day beforehand so that they can print it off on their computers and have it before them um, so that nobody from outside the courtroom has touched it. If you have an electronic trial, how do you um, slam anything on the desk and yell, you're out of order? Um, that's my real question. <laughs> I've seen too many legal movies. How do you become Phoenix Wright and yell objection? And then you slam the PDF. Well, you'd probably break your iPad. <laughs> that's true. That's a great way to make a point, though. Oh, my God. Don't do that. That's so expensive. Um, the most persuasive lawyers that I've seen are the ones that they don't have to yell or shout. What you're doing as a practitioner is you're helping the judge understand your client's story so that they can make a judgment on it and say, yeah, you know what? What happened was unfair. This is my decision and it's in favor of your client. Your, your job isn't to be a dramatic person. Your job is to, well, first, you're an officer of the court, so you can't mislead the court. And second, it's to help the judge understand your client's position. Well, hopefully uh, your storytelling ability is not inhibited by the uh, encroaching electronic spaces. <laughs> no, the most persuasive people that I've seen are the ones that are able to just gently guide through um, every step that's important. Um, so you, you might get very, you, you get a lot of very polite barristers and that's one of the reasons why you have that very archaic way of referring to the other barrister and you call them my learned friend. And while sometimes that could be a bit of a um, mean girl's backhanded compliment, my learned friend, it's very, very, very rarely used like that because everybody in that courtroom respects each other. I think the biggest, the biggest change is going to be that learning curve that people have to take to ensure that they are not physically handling paper or physically coming into contact with other people. Um, we know that COVID-19 can stay on surfaces for several hours. Uh, one of the policies that I could put into place with my um, administrative health is that we have a naughty corner for my cases. So any file that I'm working on gets quarantined in a special, um, like a shelf in my office for 24 hours and then she can pick it up and do whatever she needs to with it. Like she might order the file or might file things into it. If I have to physically go around and start 
wiping down paper files. One, it doesn't work, uh, and the virus only lasts 24 hours on those paper files anyway. Uh, and two, if I can just touch a very limited amount of things like my keyboard and mouse, means that I can reduce any potential virus that I might have and I'm unaware of to other people in the office. I am a younger worker in the office. I'm less vulnerable to any of the health complications. Um, there are older people in my office that I am concerned about and are worried about if they catch it. How has uh, being in this in this quarantined work environment uh, where you are um, uh, not seeing clients face to face and that sort of thing? How has oh, that no, impacted? You I've turned into a robot. Oh, no. That just happened in real life. That wasn't even on Skype that time. No. That was just me actually turning into a robot. So I know the quarantine has had a big impact on your office with you not meeting clients face-to-face. How has that impacted uh, the way that you approach uh, work? How do you? How has your work day changed? Well, the first thing you should know is that I'm a professional. And currently, I'm a professional from the belly button up as that's the only part of my face or my body that my clients can see because I only speak to them either via the phone or on Skype. Excellent. Excellent. Is it getting more and more ridiculous? Like Ugg boots? How bad is it? Are we talking flared pants? Are we talking? I mean, some members of the office have questionable taste anyway, but (laughs) that's not really relevant to the virus. That's just day to day. Um, No, I actually had the managing, I had the practice manager come in and say, oh, you look like you're in your pajamas. And I have to admit, I was in leggings and a shirt and a nice jumper. So I don't think that was completely warranted, but I do get her point. Um, We haven't seen any Ugg boots yet, but I am going to be the first person to wear the Pikachu onesie into the office. What happens if you have to take a Skype call in the Pikachu onesie? Do you like... Oh, I just take a normal call. Oh, okay. Like, oh, I'm sorry. We haven't got the webcam set up. Uh, Actually, it's really strange because we've had to, apart from the fact that we've added in a lot of this new technology, like everybody's got their personal computers at home set up so that they can log in, right? All all of our meeting rooms are just that. They're really quite small meeting rooms that you just meet with your clients, um, take their instructions, maybe get them to sign something. Uh, But now we're going to be setting up so that they're virtual meeting rooms as well, so that you can have a meeting in those meeting rooms that's not in your office because your office might be next to the photocopy machine or might have really thin walls or whatever. This should hopefully push most law firms to be electronic so that they don't have to have um, people physically coming into the office and they can just remote access in and, and do the work that they need to do. There is a lot going on and it's changing daily and I haven't got a handle on all of it. I've only tried to get a handle on the stuff that's directly relevant to me. But you're crushing it. Oh, thanks. And uh, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Lovely. Oh, Tiff. I thought it was a really nice chat. Yeah. 75 minutes. <laughs> it w- yeah, it was initially quite a oh. bit longer. 75 minutes was the length of the call. I think it's 27 minutes in what I've sent you, and it might be a little less than that when it actually makes it to air. Yes, you made some really good points. So you know that the legal profession is pushing to move away from jury trials just because they are a pain in the ass. But ultimately that means that judges who are then making those decisions instead of the jury, statistically speaking, older white men, so there's the concern that that's skewing things a certain way and whether or not that's giving people the opportunity for, you know, the jury of the peers. It's a concern that was there before coronavirus and it's definitely one that's going to be present moving forward. I can imagine there being a lot of heartache around the decisions that are going to be made in that space. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that we've seen a bit recently uh, is people using the coronavirus to put through changes that they really want to put through anyway. And that's great in certain cases. Yeah, like getting the legal profession up to date with technology, probably really, like Tiff was saying, really good, really good move in a lot of aspects. In some, not so much. I mean, clearly a trial by judge is not a trial by your peers. Like, it's it's just not. Like, it's just one dude. Uh, unless you are a judge that is on trial. <laughs> and the legal profession has just a wild history of what they decide for other lawyers. But that's um, neither here nor there. 
yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it's already having a, not to get too dark, but an interesting impact on family law cases as well, custody situations. But the good thing is the government has been quite clear that if a family is like a shared custody arrangement, those two households where the kid resides, they're considered one. So anybody that's saying, I can't bring the kid over because of coronavirus, everyone's got their own situation. But generally speaking, that would be considered one household and the kid can still move between the two. I didn't know that. That's that's good to know. We saw earlier in the week there were some people that were protesting the detention of some refugees in a hotel and the protest was about how the refugees weren't able to socially distance appropriately in their hotel space and the protesters went outside the hotel and formed a blockade in their cars with signs saying free the refugees on the side of the cars. They were on top of the regular fines that were leveled against them for blocking the flow of traffic and that sort of stuff. They were also fined a total between them of $43,000 for breach of coronavirus social distancing restrictions because they had left their house for a non-essential reason, even though they'd taken every step to go to the hotel in their cars, right? So that's clearly a, a group of people that are responding to the virus trying to be wise. That's one of the things that's been the office cooler talk of this week, because I have been in the office this week. Someone in our office is weirdly concerned about the fines. He's not going to get fined, but he loves dissecting it when other people do. His thing was this girl got fined because she was doing a driving lesson with her mother. Ultimately, the fine did get overturned and I think the head of police was actually committing to reviewing each fine personally. I don't know if that's still the case. Wow. But we had the discussion about how, well, well, they're the members of the same household and how could the officer determine that they were or they weren't and is a driving lesson essential or non-essential I'm sitting there going at a certain point I'm gonna have to get in my car and drive just so I don't horribly murder the person I live with and it's just because I've spent too much time with them but can I not do that is that considered non-essential and when the policeman pulls them over do they ask them to wind down the window <laughs> and if the person that's driving is in a caravan or a mobile home then does that count as them having left the house? We can play hypothetical until we're both blue in the face. Yes. And hopefully that'll just be from talking and not... Yeah, I'm a philosophy graduate. You're a law graduate. We will absolutely play hypotheticals till the cows come home. This is why I'm not a very good law graduate. Because I'll be like, Justin, it doesn't matter. There's no cows. Move on. It'll be interesting to see how the coronavirus plays out in the legal space and... Tiff was saying something really important that we don't know the full impact that it's going to have yet. Bit of a bouncing ball, bit of a moving target. And at the moment, obviously, there's a going to be fallout each week and we'll just see what happens. We'll see if those fines stand. Because as we said, the girl with the driving lesson, her fine got walked back. But I think the guy in the park who refused to leave even though the officers had explained it to him, I think his fine stood and hopefully the, the right decision gets made in each case, all we can hope for. Yeah, and, and obviously it's reasonable to say that these are cases that are ongoing and we are not equipped with the full facts of any of these cases. Not. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's what a crisis does is it empowers people that already are in a position to make decisions to make more sweeping decisions. And that can obviously be very good and it can be very bad. We've seen some great changes already. We've talked every week about how people are responding and how they're developing new ways of responding to stuff. But obviously, if there was a blanket removal of all jury trials, that would be pretty bad. And it's good that the legal profession is kind of taking it slowly and what they're doing is not removing all jury trials but postponing them and trying to get people to discuss some things out of court and, and you know, yeah. it's reasonable, as you'd expect from the law. Doing the best they can in the situation. Yeah. And I think that is the other thing. If there are some scenarios that you're being concerned about, it is provisional. So we'll see. Super fun way to end a podcast. <laughs> anyway, I believe that uh, it's my turn to ask you to watch a movie. And I listened back to the last one that we did. And I need you to watch the latest Star Wars so I can tell you all my thoughts about Kylo Ren and why he would be really difficult to quarantine with. Like in, in some ways, excellent, because he would never touch you. But in other ways, really difficult because he's a moody prick. So when you've seen it, then we can discuss that a little bit more in depth because I'll continue to try and get tiny movie reviews into these conversations. 
I mean, it's never going to be a completely... If, if there is an episode of this podcast that does not have a movie review segment, then, you know, check our pulses because uh, one of us <laughs> is just a, a robot with a flesh suit. It's just a sack of laundry at that point. If I manage a whole podcast without mentioning a single movie, I think you should, like, Uber Eats send me, like, a brunch or something. I'll send you a brunch and also a carton of motor oil, and I'll just watch which one you actually consume. <laughs> oh, I did want to say, I mean, we had the lovely public holidays, whatever you celebrate. Yay, some time off. I'm celebrating time off. My housemate was really sad because she would usually spend that time with her family. Yeah. And we're cousins, so I'm still her family. <laughs> but because she was sad, I decided to be the cutest ever and I made her an Easter egg hunt in our lounge room. And then I cooked her a roast dinner because that's it. That's all we could do. We were pretty tired. That's such a good weekend. I know. I was all hyped up for it. And I was like asking my mum for like our popper's recipe for stuffing and stuff because I thought it'd be like a bit cute. Anyway, I cooked the crap out of that chicken. It's so tasty. I'm really proud of myself. My level of cooking has not quite been on that level. I've been doing uh, tortilla pizzas. It's Uh, too thin a base. Like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate a thin base, but a tortilla... No, you just gotta you just gotta have a really strong attention to detail. You've got to be very task oriented and show initiative and be. No, you just gotta put another one on top and make it a quesadilla. That also works. I mean, the way that I've ended up eating it is very much folding the slice in the middle, like a New Yorker. We spent, I think, three days in total in North America. We went to Disneyland, basically. That was the end of the list of things that we did. My mate that I travel with loves Disneyland, so we had to go. There are a few things that I've always wanted to do in America. One was go to Starbucks, and one was eat a big slice of pizza that I folded in half. Even though we were in LA, it's not really it's not really folding in half, eating a big slice of pizza territory. I think the main thing is you want to get a fairly even distribution of sauce. It will probably fall apart, but it's a pizza. So it'll be gone very quickly. It's like a really good burger should be disintegrating as you pick it up. It has that feel, yeah. Anyway, all I'm saying is I'm an amazing cook and like a really good member of the family. I'm I'm pretty great. You're a legend. Happy Easter, everybody. I spent my Easter putting the podcast off for a day so that I could edit our good friend Tiff. Why would you edit her, Justin? Every word was gold. You're a bad friend, so you are. Yeah, every word was gold. Why do you think that is? They talked for 70 minutes and he got it down to 27. It's mostly because of all of her legal and state secrets. I'm talking a lot of smack, but I know that you're about to spend the rest of the week trying to get rid of all of my nonsense. No, no, no. I'm trying to keep the most flavoursome nonsense. It's so weird to listen back to it and be like, huh, he didn't want to keep that bit, except I'm never thinking that. All I'm thinking is, we're hilarious. This is gold, forgetting that I've been heavily edited. It's the bits I reject that make Radio Lockdown the best. All I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, is tip your editors. Is the fish we reject that makes John West the best? It's a quality ad. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about this because you know how we've been talking about industries that are going great guns now? Yeah. Okay, so the industry I wanted to talk about this week was advertising. AFC inceptioned me. I had to buy it this weekend. What? They're geniuses. How? First of all, when everything sort of started kicking off, it's like you can't dine in, but we're still frying. Hey, next one is quarantine. No, no, no. Quarantine chicken or something. It's this really shitty pun. But they're like, what? hey, you can just quarantine. quarantine. No, quarantine chicken. Yes. Okay. It's not that. That's what got it's... you to buy their product. <laughs> I'm very easily persuaded to buy chicken. Wait, give me like two seconds. I can find what it actually is. Okay. I want it to be quarantine. No, quarantine chicken. Yes. That is a better act okay. than anything you could bring up. Okay, now this is a real this is a real letdown. Vacation cross out, then it's just staycation. I'm like, fuck yeah, I love staying inside. And now I have an excuse to not drive the five minutes it would take me to go pick up some KFC. I can just get it sent to me. Vacation? No. Quarren chicken? I was just saying <laughs> <laughs> The point of this was good advertising is going to keep some of these businesses rolling. KFC, not so much as a juggernaut. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But I think that advertising is in that really good position where they've basically got a bunch of creative people and they're like, okay, we have a problem. The business that we represent has already figured out how to do it. 
now you've got to pitch it to you. My favorite one so far has been to fresh pasta place in our local area. And it just says, pasta, you need this. I'm like, oh shit, I do need that. <laughs> pasta, you need this. Yes, that was That's it. a good ad. I know. They weren't walking around. They are a small business and I hope they survive through this because they're just like, yeah, you want it? We've got it. Well, let's make this happen. All the little, like, the little Facebook videos of like local bakeries that are like, ooh, what's this? Fresh out of the oven croissants. Oh, we've frozen them and now you can have them like delivered to your house and you can have like freezer croissants anytime you want. It's just like when you would buy them from our store, but we had to shut because of Corona. So have them this way. It's just like you got them from the store, but they've been pierced by ice crystals like Walt Disney's body. That's why you don't work for advertising because you're too weird. (laughs) Well, that's the reason that Walt Disney won't actually be able to be reanimated, right? because he was cryogenically frozen, but the ice crystals will have just... Burst blood vessels or something, yeah. There's absolutely no way, unless they grab the DNA, like in Jurassic Park, just from his blood, and they clone him. Nice find a way. Which I think is the next step to Disney retaining copyright. (laughs) So you want to talk about the law in Disney? That's that's really interesting. I'm sure there are many podcasts that have talked about it. Go find them. Look, we, we talked about your friend wanting to go to Disneyland. I've talked about Walt Disney's corpse. We've really presented both sides of this issue. We've covered it ably, but if you're looking for other information, I'm 100% sure there will be... Darcy, are you just generally advocating listen to other podcasts? Like, you're not even recommending a specific other podcast. You're just like, listen to podcasts other than this one. After this one... (laughs) After you've heard my recommendation, which will presumably be at the very end of this podcast, because we've we've talked a bit of shit, <laughs> we should probably wrap this up. Darcy and I proceeded to talk for another 45 minutes. All right, well, Justin, it was great chatting to you, even though we started out with weird Monday vibes. Yeah, I, look, Monday is gone. It's it's not Easter Monday, it's Easter Quarren Chicken. <laughs> That's the holiday we celebrate from now on. That's now the holiday that I'm going to be celebrating on this date every year, regardless of whether we're actually locked indoors. Now, we didn't have a good nap time outro this last week, uh, and I want to rectify that. Hurtful. I nailed it last week. Oh, I think you nailed it. But (laughs) there was a song that came out this week, which was a scientist came up with a song version of the protein codes of the novel coronavirus. Oh, yes. And I thought I would just play us out with a song that you could genuinely fall asleep to. This is the sound of the novel coronavirus. <laughs> this is vocal counterpoint of the coronavirus spike protein by Marcus J. Bueller. You've been listening to Radio Lockdown, a Neptune podcast.